Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another wintry Wisconsin. We have our full panel, although oh, Rebecca, I think, got my sickness, but she's with us. Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Good to see you, Rebecca. <laughs> it's good to be here, Matt. <laughs> All right. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Robert. Uh, good day, everyone. All right. We are going to dive in. It was a big week this week. Um, elections, uh, not here in Wisconsin, but uh, a number of important off-year elections in uh, in different spots around the country. The ones that got the most publicity were Kentucky Governor, Virginia, and um, also uh, Mississippi a little bit. I think Kansas too, but basically Virginia and Kentucky got a lot of attention for uh, the Kentucky governor's race appearing to go Democratic, although obviously the the Trump Trumpite Bevin is refusing to concede. Um, and then in Virginia, entire sweep for Democrats in the state house, and they already control the, the governorship. Um, and so that is a big change. Uh, so I want to talk both about things that were happening that you know, they Virginia, they try to say these are bellwethers. And in Kentucky, let's remind you, Trump carried by 30 points, all right? So no matter what happens, if Bevin somehow uh, pulls a Waukesha County clerk uh, and somehow finds a way to win, uh, it's there's, there's things happening. So I want to get both of your thoughts sort of globally on what we think uh, as this relates to 2020. And then after that, we're going to have a discussion of some things that were happening in local elections that we think are really critical for the progressive movement. Rebecca, your thoughts first. What's the biggest, your biggest sort of takeaway uh, from uh, the elections on Tuesday? From the non-local elections? Yeah, just the just okay. national trends, right? As yeah. someone who's our leading expert <laughs> on national trends, working on the Warren stuff, just sort of how do you see this all fitting in? Yeah, and I'm super excited to talk about local elections, yep. but you know, just looking at the list of states where Democrats have flipped governorships uh, in recent years, we've got Illinois, Kansas, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, Wisconsin, and now as of Tuesday, Kentucky. And this is all since Trump being elected. Is that what? That's just yeah, clarifying. I'm, I'm, Thank you. Yeah, and right. so I think you know that's pretty exciting and spells out pretty bad news for Trump. And I think is something that you know we didn't have elections too many elections um in wisconsin but uh looking looking you know at kentucky and we'll talk later about down ballot in pennsylvania and some other states it seems like this spells out bad news for president trump that people are motivated and and organized i don't know what do you guys think well robert i want to get your thoughts but first i want to get a response one of the things that seems to be happening we've talked about this before and very much was in play in Virginia is the suburbs continuing to radically change, uh, and particularly suburbs that went for Trump starting to change. We saw this in Wisconsin, but your thoughts there? I think this yeah. is going to continue to play out here in Wisconsin in terms of seeing changes in our suburbs. Well, and so we saw that on Tuesday night also in Pennsylvania, where okay, in Delaware County, um, we flipped the county board, elected the first ever black person, I think, but definitely black woman in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Um, a number of other suburban counties saw major gains for Democrats. And so, you know, Pennsylvania was right up there with Wisconsin when it came to the electoral map in 2016. I think they lost by something like 44,000 votes to President Trump. And I think, you know, gains in the suburbs there are critically important. So that was really heartening to see in addition to what you mentioned in Virginia. Robert. 
Yeah, so as far as all the prognostication, um, I think the impeachment evidence that impeachment did not affect, did not turn out the Republican base is a hopeful sign, but we should also remember that that might be different if it's actually Trump on the ballot as opposed to these other candidates. And so, uh, but I do think this impeachment is different than the others, uh, really in many ways vindicating Nancy Pelosi in that the narrative of it is so clear that I even think what this shows is, because we know independents and Democrats have moved towards not just impeachment inquiry, but supporting removal. Republicans have not, but I think their intensity is probably cut by the narrative, uh, hence reflecting these, uh, these lower turnout numbers relative to the Democratic base, particularly in Kentucky and Virginia. Uh, the other things, you're totally right, uh, Rebecca and Matt, about the suburbs. Some of the numbers in the Louisville suburbs were absolutely unbelievable. There were suburban counties that went 20 points for Trump, that Bashir, the Democrat, won by 10, 15 points. I mean, yeah. we're talking a complete flip. And you know, some are saying, oh, well, this means that governing matters. Matt Bevan was a, I mean, a classic Freedom Caucus kind of Tea Party Republican who just didn't want to run anything, want to blow stuff up, right? Uh, that it, it certainly doesn't seem to matter to rural voters currently, though we need to reach rural voters and stop the bleeding. Uh, but it's the suburban voters that are moving, and that reflects other trends, and it reflects what happens in Wisconsin, where there was a 7% shift in the Milwaukee suburbs uh, that, uh, that was one of the key pieces of making Tony Evers governor and defeating Scott Walker. So this suburban trend, and as Rebecca pointed out, Pennsylvania as well, and Virginia suburbs certainly performed tremendously on Tuesday. This suburban thing is not some flash in the pan. Yeah, and one other thing, Mississippi was the one area where Republicans continued to, quote, hold control, but it was a very narrow margin, like 5% percentage points, which, you know, Trump carried Mississippi by uh, 18 points. So. I've never heard anyone say, as goes Mississippi, goes so so goes yeah. the country. Well, I, I would say it if in, in the Trump world, Trump, we're living in Trump America— uh, so goes, it's not gozen so well here for him down there. Sorry. I believe Tom Thurmond <laughs> run it, ran, won it when he ran as a Dixiecrat against Truman in 48, and uh, certainly Wallace uh, was popular, uh, so, won it. So ultimately, you know, th some of these are outliers. So, Rebecca, I want to start to move into some conversation, unless you have some more you want to say uh, globally, around some of these exciting races that also happen locally that shows the progressive movement, people's movements, are really on the march and, and starting to flex electoral and political muscle. Rebecca? Yeah, and this this I can speak with uh, speak to with more authority than uh, some of those larger races. I, I <laughs> think that's why we quickly moved, right? There's <laughs> plenty of moved. other people who talk about that. I'm sure NPR did a good job, but like, let's move into talking about like the movement. You know, I, I'm super excited by what we saw on Tuesday, and there are a couple things I wanted to highlight. The first was in Iowa, in Ames, Iowa, which is in uh, Rep. Steve King's district, but is kind of a progressive blue dot in that district. We saw a woman by the name of Rachel, Rachel Junk, lifelong Ames resident, now Iowa State student, who ran a you know upstart challenger campaign for city council and won the most votes in that race. She now moves on to a runoff, and that was super exciting. She was someone who was running on climate, 
um, and a Green New Deal. She was running on a number of progressive policies, including the need for affordable housing in Ames. And she's a student. And she's part of this wave, I think, that we're seeing of student activism across the country. I was super excited. She was a Working Families Party supported candidate. And uh, she's just super inspiring. Yeah, you know, there's... Um I think it's important to highlight these and, and why I want us to spend time talking about this is one, it's important that we know that these happened because they don't get sometimes a lot of uh, national press, but it's really important for us to understand. We all need to lean into the leadership that is in this state because 2020, there's a lot of races where there's still opportunities for people to step up uh, into their leadership. want to point out Kendra Brooks from Philadelphia. Right. This is really important because it's Working Families Party, a People's Action Affiliate, um, a Partnership for Working Families, like a number of different kinds of organizations coming together to elect an amazing person. Tell us more about Kendra. So this for me was the biggest news of the night. Super exciting. For the first time in seven decades, we upended Republicans in Philadelphia, the Working Families Party. The first time we've gotten a quote unquote third party candidate elected to the Philadelphia City Council. She won at large. That meant citywide. She raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, had hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. She's a really inspiring candidate all on her own, a community organizer from, I think it's the northwest side, I don't know Philly that well, from somewhere on the north side of Philly. But uh, Kendra Brooks, really extraordinary and a huge effort. And it was, as you mentioned, you know, she was a Working Families Party supported and recruited candidate. We ran the campaign, but it was a whole effort with like 215 uh Philly with a whole bunch of other groups that I'm less familiar with being a Wisconsinite, but uh, a massive effort. And, you know, this is a really big deal. It's a big deal for a whole bunch of reasons. It pulls the entire city council to the left. It upended the establishment and the machine politics in Philly. It ousted, you know, Republicans in Philly. There's still one Republican left, but otherwise we've gotten rid of the rest. And, uh, it's pretty historic. And so I think people are looking at that and seeing a resurgence of progressive activism in Philly and Pennsylvania. She got, I think, 55,000 votes, um, which 55,000 votes in a, a state like Pennsylvania, when we're looking ahead to 2020, is a really big deal. So, and it's not just council races. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Regina Romero, who uh, our People's Action Affiliate Lucha she is now the first Latina. In, she's going to be mayor of Tucson. And this is a huge issue. She won by a landslide. And what's important, we talk a lot about this idea of co-governing, uh, where we, we need to have elected leaders come from our communities and then work with groups, the movement and organizations who can help support to make sure our vision and our, our platform gets enacted over the next decade, right? And Regina is committed to do that kind of co-governing with Lucha and other uh, uh, people's groups in the Arizona, in Tucson area. And that's absolutely critical because our vision is not going to happen overnight and it's going to require organizing to take power. So we're going to talk more about uh, the 2019 elections, but we got to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwr.org. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're talking about Tuesday night's really important uh, elections, and in particular, um, a lot of important things that are happening at the local level around this country. So, uh, Rebecca, further thoughts on some uh, some amazing stories? 
Yeah, just just super quick, kind of like bringing these local elections into 2020 for a minute that I think is pretty interesting. So Kendra Brooks, right, ran as a Working Families Party candidate for Philly City Council and had support from some folks in the Democratic Party. Notably, uh, notably um, po- folks in Philly will know Helen Gim, who is a very progressive a Democrat on the city council who kind of broke ranks with the machine to support both Ken, uh, Kendra Brooks and Nicholas O'Rourke who are running on the Working Families Party line. But to bring this to the national stage for a second, you know, a, a Democrat Elizabeth Warren running for president also endorsed Kendra Brooks. And I think what we're seeing um, both in whom um, both Bernie and Elizabeth endorse and who endorses them, this kind of co-organizing and synergy that's playing out in election after election after election. And so, you know, we talked uh, about six months ago in the show about Bernie and Elizabeth endorsing Tiffany Caban for district attorney in Queens. It was a, you know, really um, tough fight that we came. The fact that she, Tiffany Caban came as close as she did was a huge upset. And that would have never happened without Bernie and Elizabeth's endorsements. Tiffany, by the way, is now working for the Working Families Party. We announced that a few days ago. Super excited doing national criminal justice work and trying to elect progressive DAs everywhere. But uh, I wanted to point that out because I think it's really exciting. And just like to put a plug in in endorsement news, uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley just endorsed Elizabeth Warren um, out in Boston. And so I think what we're seeing like up and down the ballot, whether it's Bernie or Warren, um, is that like whom they endorse and who's endorsing them, that there's this organizing happening and that we're winning. We're either winning these elections that we are flipping seats or progressives are winning for the first time, or we're coming a hell of a lot closer than we've ever come before. And so it's super exciting. So if you're listening and you're interested in thinking about running, reach out to us. We Obviously, you can reach out to any of our organizers throughout the region. Feel free to uh, connect with me. You can uh, reach out to me at matt.brusky at citizenactionwi.org. And with that, we're going to move to some state topics uh, because this week we had more interesting stuff playing out in our um, state legislature. So what the FAF, what the PAF, right? Uh, Brad FAF. Um, <laughs> It's PATH. I'm, if folks don't remember, Brad ran for Senate a long time ago, and that the Republicans used that to, they kept mispronouncing his name, Brad Fath, in all of their commercials. It was continuing the level of respect and treatment for Brad this year. Um, so I think folks uh, may know, and we did a large push this week to try and see if we could change this, but uh, the Republicans, particularly, let's be clear, Fitzgerald uh, is upset with uh, Secretary Path because he spoke out about $100,000 worth of aid that was being held up to help suicide prevention for farmers and a couple of other things that got under Fitzgerald's skin and essentially um, someone who had been approved in the committee, nine to nothing, but still had not had a Senate vote because as we know, they're holding up a lot of these uh, appointments from uh, Governor Evers. Uh, they flipped. They all flipped party line vote this week uh, with Governor Evers sitting in the uh, sitting in the uh, uh, watching the Senate uh, play out. Robert, I wanted to get your top line thoughts on this, and then I want to dive in a little bit because there's a little bit of there's some complexity going on here that I think is important for us to discuss. But Robert, your first thoughts on how this all played out? Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of complexity. There's also simplicity. It's yeah, well, a, I'm, I want you to start yeah. with the simplicity, but we'll dive yes. in later to the complexity. It's a, another legislative power grab. And 
the problem. This is not just some sort of traditional interbranch squabble between the legislative and executive branch. We have a modern conservatism that's taken over the Republican Party, which is uh, power-mongering and, and maximizes its power to the utmost. We also continue, this is, uh, I mean, it's not fair, but in many ways, Governor Evers's uh, desire to work across the aisle is being used against him because he is not maximizing his power, right? And so literally you have a situation here where uh, it, it's unprecedented that a highly qualified uh, cabinet secretary would be uh, fired on the, on the shaky grounds we have here, okay? They usually don't get confirmed because a scandal comes up, okay? Or, pr or there's proof they're completely unqualified or there's proof that some large part of the constituency they're supposed to serve despises them and that was, that was a mistake, right? Things like that. Nothing like that here. In fact, there was an outpouring of support uh, from farmers, um, and they did it anyway, and they, they, they have these fig leaves. They're mad that he pushed for mental, more mental health funding for farmers at the time of a horrible agricultural crisis for our farmers and high suicide rates, uh, brought on in part by a right-wing conservative president and his, and his, uh, and his trade wars. Uh, and, and, he all, and the other thing that seemed to be doing it is something highly popular again, actually improving our oversight of giant agricultural farms, like what are called CAFOs, right? And we, we in our Citizen Action, our Northwest Wisconsin co-op members, went around the bend on this where we, we helped lead a major resistance to a giant one in Dunn County that was going to create more pollution than it you'd have in a medium-sized city at, with no municipal sewage system in the area. And under state law, there was no way to stop it, just delay it. I mean, there's just no way to stop it. So even though it was wildly unpopular, uh, it didn't matter, right? And so one little cautionary note here, though, is, is that uh, 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 Secretary Pfaff, or former Secretary Pfaff, unfortunately, uh, Pfaff, actually um, pulled that rule I uh, to late talk about last that. week. That's so we'll get to that. I will say this. This is very hard because, and this happened to both Presidents Clinton and Obama when they learned who the opposition is. Obama didn't expect that McConnell coming to meet and say, we're going to oppose everything because we're going to destroy him. Uh, he thought he could, you know, find a way to, to have common ground. And so... I don't want to imply this happens commonly, but Governor Evers actually called me yesterday because he clearly is calling everyone who did anything and insisted action, got the word out to try to uh, support him on this. And he just sounded very dejected, but we ended up having a, a more positive conversation about what he could do on a Green New Deal. But I mean, and, and why wouldn't he be? I mean, literally, they're, they're not letting him even run the executive branch. So I want to get to the complexity, for, but first, Rebecca, I want to give you, is there any uh, opportunity to say any global yeah. comments on this? I mean, I'm way less familiar with this, the, the dynamics here, so this has been really interesting for me. I mean, what's so depressing about it is that the challenges that are facing farmers are so real, and we, we talk about on the show all the time, the economic challenges, the mental health challenges, and, you know, it just seems like one of the many things that we shouldn't be playing politics with, and, um, you know, in particular, the crisis facing Wisconsin farmers is acute right now. Like I feel, it feels as if we're at like the apex of that crisis. I mean, I, who knows, but 
um, whether it's been the trade war or the economy or our, our mental health crisis generally, what's happening in our rural communities generally. I mean, all of these forces are like crashing down on the heads of farmers. So it's just really um, dispiriting to hear that what, where there was once bipartisanship, rare as it was, that is now falling apart. So I want to start the complexity. And if we go into the next um, segment, that's fine. Um, and I think this is important for our listeners because we're part of the movement. And actually, there's work for us to do and going to have an action that I'm going to ask listeners to take. So the complexity here is what they're really upset about. They are upset about the suicide prevention. They're really upset that he's he was going to push these rules, right, these citing rules for the CAFOs. And, again, these are large factory farms that pollute at dis- devastating levels and are not supported by the broad community. They're not not only non-farmers, they're not supported by family farms, okay? So we've it's, agri- talk- it's agribusiness, right? And it's, it's the big money. Follow the money, right, Matt? Yep. We've talked about this before, right, that there's this divide going on, and it played out in the Purdue visit, right? We cannot just keep producing more milk, more, 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 right? We have to talk about what's sustainable, what makes sense, um, and so this is a very complex situation, right? And really, they're upset that this offended the big, the big agra business, the big dairy farms. Um, and it's important to point out that the Wisconsin Farmers Union and others, right, are like, hey, th- of course, what happened to the secretary uh, uh, designee was awful. But this issue is still real. And what Evers needs to do and what they need to respond immediately, the deputy who's left needs to continue, put this back on the board. Like, we need to go back and push this because uh, this is what the people wanted. And and they did pull last Friday that this rule was going to come up uh, and be discussed before the board. And I think they need to go back and now put the pressure back on them because this was the right thing to do. And by the way, these were stuff that came out of the Walker administration, right, to do these basic, these very basic things. And very, so, very moderate stuff. That's and right. There was so it's overwhelming a- public support in the hearing, the comments. It's like Medicaid expansion. In other words, overwhelming support, almost no public opposition, and they're still. Uh, taking the money to kill it. So this is the point to Evers and company, right? Like, if you don't move this forward and just back down, like, you've been totally defeated. We need to push this, because this is what the people want. we got to talk more, actually. We're going to talk more about this. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. We're talking about what happened to Ag Secretary this week, uh, uh, Brad uh, Path. And more importantly now, we're talking about what's really underlying all this, and that is regular communities, regular people, family farmers, finally getting a chance to try to stand up to the big ag uh, uh, CAFOs in this uh, state. And when PATH started to push that, that's when they really also got upset. So it is very important. Again, I want to be clear. Call call your, your senators. Call your legislators. Call Governor Evers' office. They need to push these citing rules. They need to rein in the CAFOs because th- that's what's really going on here. Uh, so this fight's not over. Um, Robert, any final thoughts on this? Just look, Governor Evers has kind of learned who they are. You know, they re- they've revealed themselves to him. 
Uh, and it, he's not the only one who's gone in uh, to an executive position like president or governor thinking, well, I can find common ground because I'm well-intended. It needs two partners, but a lot of times even brilliant men like Clinton and Obama need to learn it themselves, right? And so I get that. Uh, Tony Evers is a, a very good man, an extremely dedicated public servant in an age, in the true sense of the word, an age where that's depressingly uncommon. Uh, but now he we, he needs to develop now an approach to them that is that you know a just war basically you know Christian, as you know Matt as a as a grown born Catholic right Catholic just war theory is you only do war when absolutely necessary and you conduct it in a just way well now it is necessary because they will not they will leave no stone unturned to undermine him period and they've demonstrated that over and over and over again they don't care about the consequence of the public they're politicians and right-wing politicians in the worst sense of both words um real quick for anyone who's going to place those calls it's really important to know that like this was done after years of public hearings we haven't updated these rules in over a decade this really only affects one percent like literally the largest of large farms um, so it's really important that we push this through. Anyways, um, this was a great discussion. We'll we'll continue to talk more about this because uh, this is uh, really 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 important. But we got to move on. We got other topics to talk about. It's actually connected to this. Um, we actually believe, and it appears that this sort of going after uh, Evers' cabinet appointees has just begun, and it looks like they're going to go after uh, the tourism secretary and. You know, there's some vague uh, offerings that somehow she's messing with the board or being political with the board, although no actual evidence has been offered. No, no, um, quite the contrary. Nothing, Fitzgerald nothing. says he hasn't seen the evidence, hasn't but there it. are reports. Yes. And so there's a storm brewing. What storm does that brewing. mean? You're the Senate Majority Leader. You're running for Congress, by the way. And you're on big, the biggest radio station in the state um, saying, I haven't seen it, but it's really bad, and a storm is brewing. I, what? Dude, it sounds very Trumpian. Very it, Trumpian. Well, he's trying to be Trumpian himself. He's sounding Trumpian in his congressional run as well, Senator Fitzgerald. And so, Which, by the way, kicked off this here week. Here we go. In what sense was there a partisan division over the value of tourism to Wisconsin? Is there a party that w doesn't want tourism to Wisconsin? Uh, quite aside from the uh, shots taken at Fibs, they still Wisconsinites still need Fibs to come here and know that. Rebecca, I mean, the last administration spent millions of dollars trying to attract young Chicagoans to move to Wisconsin. So. That moved it into a more partisan realm. The uh, <laughs> the, the cocktail co the, the the coasters in fancy bars in Lincoln Park and Wicker Park in Chicago to attract the uh, white millennial knowledge workers. <laughs> so uh, earlier I told you to call everyone about uh, the CAFO citing rules. Well, while you're calling them, you should let them know that uh, they should they should support Sarah Meany. That is the, the tourism appointee. Um, Joel Brennan, uh, the governor's secretary of the Department of Administration, uh, was very uh, clear. Not WTMJ, known as a bomb thrower, by the way. On WTMJ this week just said he just flat out called it's another political hit job. And, you know, this just needs to stop. And the only way this stops is if the public starts to hold them accountable. So the best thing we can do now is make sure that they're aware that we're paying attention. 
So wait till uh, Secretary Brennan's confirmation comes up. No, I believe he's confirmed. Robert. Oh, is he? Okay. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm. I can Fitzgerald is looking over it right now and seeing get, what all his leverage is. Can they get the state Supreme Court to allow them to unconfirm? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Anyways, well, look, we. Uh, there's one thing that I want to uh, make sure we uh, talk about. Foxconn related. Uh, word got out this week that Foxconn wants to emit fire fighting sprinklers in parts of its factory. And they found a consultant to tell them, you know, that's not a bad idea. You're you guys so are cynical, very, you guys. Matt. What could go wrong? <laughs> Jesus. Are uh, we talking about the Triangle uh, uh, Shirtworks fire? Oh, I mean, anyone. By the way, they did say in the original hearings that they wouldn't, weren't going to ask for suicide nets. They didn't talk about the lack of sprinklers, but maybe the suicide nets are, are next. Rebecca, any thoughts or just shaking your head over there on Foxconn News? I mean, I also immediately thought of the Triangle Shirtwaist yep. Factory fire. And, you know, for, for folks who don't know, um, Senator Elizabeth Warren, when she had that big speech in New York City, 20,000 people. It was actually on the anniversary of that fire, and she invoked not only um, the legacy of that fire, but also Frances Perkins, who in the FDR administration ran the Department of Labor, and really much of what we have, thanks to that administration, the New Deal, came from her. And, you know, it, it's so interesting to see the... Um, see how these things that we take for granted, like worker safety, factory safety, how they can just start to be chipped away at. And so it, it's almost like we're not on like a linear phase of history that it kind of ebbs and flows. And so... No, no. It's yeah. further proof that, that the goal of right-wing Republicans is to repeal the 20th century. And so that's what we're, that, that's just further visible proof of that. It is worth pointing out while I mocked the consultant. The consultant did point out, like, okay, this could be safe if... The factory laid out clear plans for how it would mitigate for that, have clear plans on how you evacuate, how you deal. Like It's like, yeah, if, 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 right? Like They already don't want to put <laughs> sprinklers in. You think that they're going to come up with the state-of-the-art, uh, constantly well-trained workforce that's going to understand how to get out of the factory properly for their little booby trap that they've created, right? Like, and there's only a couple ways out. Well, it's absurd, and it needs to go down. The consultant also says that what they're going to store there is not very flammable. Does anyone want Humans to assume that there's going to be any freaking oversight of what they store there? I mean, he's looking at what they told him they were going to uh, store there, I right? Mean, yeah, I mean, what it, oh, sorry, go ahead, oh. Matt. I mean, what it really evokes for me uh, is the stark reality that around the world right now, thousands of workers who we, we benefit off of, like the clothes that we're all wearing right now, the furniture that we're sitting at, the, like, the building materials, our, our iPhones, that throughout the world, there are thousands of people basically enslaved, but let's say in like, in like wage slavery, um, and thousands and thousands of them die in Bangladesh, in China, all over the world. Uh, people are dying because of poor factory conditions, and um, this is this is kind of like the the impetus of capitalism is to make as much money as you can, like lives and and quality of life for your workers or other people be damned. And so, I don't know we just have to be super vigilant. But uh, you know, it's like awful, and this is ridiculous. But it also reminds me of just how terrible the conditions are everywhere, you know? And by the way, let's just remind everyone there how much money they're getting in public subsidies and they say they can't, like, afford sprinklers. It's just, it's like, 
mind blowing. Yeah. I we got to move on because like, what more can you say? I don't like. There's no more facts that are going to change my mind on this. Um, before we uh, go to the next break, Robert. Um, today I was driving uh, into work and I almost drove off the road because I heard Glenn Grothman say absolutely stunningly amazing things about the problem with predatory lenders. And we've talked about loan sharks uh, before. They're all around us. They're, they're swimming throughout our community in these uh, predatory lending places that, have, that basically uh, bankrupt people. Glenn Grothman is a, a, a Republican on a federal piece of legislation to try to set limits. And by the way, these limits are probably still too high. But nonetheless, he had a quote this morning that was unbelievably good and he called it immoral what's going on with the predatory lending. And I was very clear about, like, we can stop this. We need to stop this. Robert, I, were you as shocked as I was? No, because I remember that this was the one issue... Uh, Grothman was good at, went good on when he was in the state Senate. And it just goes to show we shouldn't have a black and white worldview, Matt, that there's good in everyone. I don't know that I know of an issue that every white right-wing member of Congress is good on, but this is one where Glenn Grothman actually gets it. And I think we need a cautionary note because in 2020, and when we talk about how important it is to defeat Trump, right, to prevent the uh, Republicans giving an override-proof majority so they can gerrymander the state for another 10 years in, in the state Senate and state assembly. Got to remember that just electing people with Ds after their names doesn't fix these problems because we had a full majority under Doyle for the last two years, and there was a big push to get payday lending reform and to cap the rates, and it didn't happen. And part of the reason it didn't happen is because certain leaders in the Democratic Party, in the legislature, decided that it was good politics uh, not to do it and to get money from the payday lending industry to hold on to their majority. And so just remember that unless we elect people on something, hold them accountable as citizens, Democrats won't do something about a moral outrage like payday lending either, necessarily. And that concludes our episode of True Stories in Wisconsin Political History. A uh, very important one for us to remember. With that, though, with that, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. All right. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We had to go uh, to break uh, but, Rebecca, I wanted to give you an opportunity for some thoughts on, on particularly predatory lending. And if you have growth and thoughts, that's great. Well, I, I just wanted to say um, that Robert is actually absolutely right before the break uh, in talking about how it, it's not just about electing someone with a D at the end of their name. And we have to remember that some of the strongest supporters of payday lenders in Congress are Democrats. And, you know, I'm not going to name any names right now, but certainly that's something that we have to continue to point out and put the pressure on. And I think um, it's really easy for folks to turn the other way on payday lending because the folks who are most victimized are the people who have the least voice in our system. And so, you know, it's something that uh, we have to be really vigilant about and we have to hold even our friends accountable because a lot of our friends are are close with payday lending lobbyists. This, and, is, yeah. this is great. And I'm going to bring it back to Glenn Grothman. Um, so, this is, because we're taking on the banking and the financial institutions, right? This is sort of the 
the bottom part of that, right? But the banks aren't offering, we know this, right? Like they're not really offering opportunities in a lot of these areas and they need to be. So there's a much broader question going on, but back to Growthman, right? This does speak to the kind of kind of conservative Growthman is. And this came up when we were talking about the last time he was up for election and the ads that ran him as some big, like he was like, like some big spending, like uh, Republican who gets tons of horrible, dirty money from like the banks and from all this stuff. Well, actually not. He's kind of like a right wing social conservative who doesn't raise a lot of money. That's why he was vulnerable. He like takes weird stances, like takes on the big banks occasionally because, you know, that's just who he is. But like on social issues, which, by the way, you don't get a ton of money if you're like, that's your bag in the Republican or Party. You get it for justice issues. Forget it. Right. Of, right. Mostly terrible. But. Terrible things. Very terrible conservative things. We don't need to go into yeah. the litany on Growthman. But he is not like just like lockstep clearly with the banking industry or anything. So that is interesting. And it also showed why our candidate who ran against him totally didn't get what was wrong with him. But that's another story. Anyways, we need to move on <laughs> uh, and make sure that we. Uh, talk about a couple of other things. It is we failed to mention when we were talking about the legislature that the special session on guns is today, Thursday, as we record. Um, as you listen to this podcast, it will be longer probably than the entire special session because um, it sounds like they're pretty much going to gavel in, gavel out, and not really do anything. And that is worth it is worth stating that that is happening today and it is wrong and the gun safety advocates will have a, a big protest at the capitol they're already calling it a protest yeah. so we know what's going to happen yeah so yeah. but we wanted to make sure that it is mentioned even though like it's really depressing um, also we believe the assembly is going to be you know it's definitely going to have an effort to try to override a couple of the governor's vetoes uh, we can talk more about that later but um i wanted to take some time to be able to talk about healthcare, robert an article came out today in the Examiner um, about healthcare and basically how absolutely nothing, really nothing, has happened um, in Wisconsin in the legislature around healthcare. And it was the top issue in the 2018 elections. And it looks like it is not going anywhere. Robert? Yeah. And in the Battleground Wisconsin section of the Citizen Action Wisconsin website, Matt will put a link to the article. Very good article by our by good progressive journalist Eric Gunn. Uh, but you'll know this was the top issue in the election by 25 points in the exit, exit polls. And in fact, uh, most people who said it was their top issue also wanted major change, not nibbling around the margins. And the Republicans came out thinking they had lost the election on pre-existing conditions. Remember all the rap about Walker saying people were misled about that? Uh, right. And, uh, and all the right-wing talk shows and Fox saying that somehow it had been misleading. No, no, they tried to remove all protections from people with pre-existing conditions multiple times, okay? That's what a full repeal of the ACA without replacement is, folks. And so they came out at least learning that narrow... Uh, message, so they don't get that you need to make healthcare a right in order to protect people who have pre-existing conditions or will, because everyone will, right, in their life as they age. It's a natural occupational thing about being a human. And so literally they came out saying that taking on pre-existing conditions is job one, and they were going to pass narrow legislation to prevent outright discrimination on price or, or just denying coverage 
Uh, and that's a little step forward, but it's still going to leave a lot of people without it, without coverage, unless you also make it health care coverage affordable generally and make it a right. Uh, but they didn't even do that. They came out saying it was job one. Voss got it passed through his gerrymandered majority in the assembly, actually got, I believe, 18 Democratic votes for it, even though it doesn't do all the other things you need to do. So there was controversy internally. But then it got stuck in the Senate and nothing. And that was it. And so not even on the thing they think cost them the 2018 election did they move anything on on health care. But then the broader question, health care costs get here to skyrocket because of price, because providers are charging more and more and because it's the wild, wild west of how it's priced and pharma is price gouging and insurance is taking its cut. And it's still going on and on and on, right? And nothing, crickets on the whole thing, even worse, the right-wing strategy, which we used to be part of, the Texas versus United States case, now being pushed by William Barr, the Trump's attorney general, that would take out the whole Affordable Care Act and as going through right-wing judges so far. So ACA was struck down, but it was stayed, the decision at the district court level. A, an appellate court is probably about to do the same thing any day, is what we've been being told. We've been telling that for about 60 days, so hard to predict these things, but it's going to happen. And so the state could be putting in state law as many of the ACA protections on pre-existing conditions as possible, <laughs> nothing. And in fact, we only got the lawsuit because the uh, lame duck uh, laws were temporarily unconstitutional until they were made constitutional by the state Supreme Court in a big surprise decision, not surprising. And so what needs to happen here is we know where the Republicans are, which is nowhere on the top issue voters had in 18, 2018 and have for 2020, according to all polling. Now, Democrats haven't quite done it yet, but they need to stand on their hind legs now and demand action. And we think they're going to. We're having a lot of conversations. But now is the time because we're about to have the last floor session of the year and nothing on health care, nothing other than turning down Medicaid expansion in the budget. I mean, other than education, this was you know, the top thing that Governor Evers ran on. So, um, you know, I'm not the expert on healthcare policy and I'm not the expert on the legislature on this show, but, you know, I think politically what seems really important is Democrats, in particular the governor, being able to demonstrate they did everything possible this session to, to try to get some something passed. And we are in a situation where the te Texas case could proceed to the U.S. Supreme Court and actually have all the ACA taken out by June of next year. That is still plausible. And the whole case is premised on the rationale that uh, Justice, uh, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, gave for upholding the ACA, because it says that since there's no since the Trump and the Republican Congress took out the payment for the tax, the, the individual mandate, it's not a tax. And his own, only reason for saying the ACA was constitutional was it was a tax. So. This literally could lead to throwing out the AC. So why wouldn't you put all these popular protections that every Republican politician, every Democratic politician says they're for whenever they're out in public? Why aren't they in state law yet? Well, folks, you got a long list of things you need to talk to your legislators about. So let me just remind you of your list. You're going to tell them they need to support Sarah, our tourism designate and they should not be voting her out of office 
we need Governor Evers and the Democrats to s- make sure that we move these CAFO siting rules and that they go forward and bring that back out. I know they pulled it on Friday, but let's bring it back out, right? And third, we need Democrats in the legislature and Governor Evers to take the lead on getting uh, st- legislation and most importantly, since we know everything's gridlock, Robert laid it out, a public conversation about this, that this is happening and that they are doing everything they can to protect Wisconsinites against the sabotage of the Affordable Care Act that's happening, both uh, through Trump and Republicans, but in this court case. Robert, and final at the thoughts? the very least, because everyone is appropriately turning to this 2020 election, right, given the stakes for the future of democracy in this country, because the consequences of re-electing a neo-fascist, a proto-fascist Trump are so scary, or the legislature being able to, you know, control the whole redistricting process yet again in Wisconsin is so scary. Just remember that you need to set up issues for elections. And so why wouldn't we be forcing Republicans to take a vote to not protect people with pre-existing conditions, not to ban lifetime limits, uh, not to, not to, or annual limits, not to allow uh, young people to stay in their parents' policy to their 26, not to mandate that all insurance uh, include mental health coverage and substance use coverage, which is part of mental health, given the, uh, not only the opiate epidemic, but the substance use epidemics that have continued. Opiates get in some way too much of the press, right? Uh, because there's a lot of other substance use issues. Um, and on and on, right? Women, women's uh, uh, reproductive health coverage, all of the protections that make sure it's not junk health insurance. Make them take votes on that so you can take it to the ballot box. If you don't do that, it's harder to go to the voters and say that you need to turn these rascals out. Well, we got to turn the show off. And uh, this show doesn't happen without Brian Wooldridge, our producer. He is here basically every Thursday making it happen. And we really appreciate that he got in this morning. Uh, he's been under the weather, and we appreciate that he's here. We, we do every week. We don't take as much time to say that, but thank you, Brian. Uh, and we'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.